Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. My name is Michael McGraw, and I'm here with Michael Shutt. And today, we get to do one of my favorite things, which is laugh at Carolina. Not just a normal laugh, but like in the movie Cape Fear. I don't know if you saw Cape Fear, but like (laughs) Robert De Niro in the theater menacing laughter against Carolina. because. My beloved Who's have taken down a top 10 team on the road for the first time in program history, a defiant 31-27 victory against North Carolina. Oh, boy. Yeah, you get to double dip in this. For me, it's like exciting and fun because Carolina lost, but you have the joy of it being Carolina losing, but your team beating them. That's right. Which is, I think... The most joyful thing. I'm pretty sure it says it somewhere in the Bible (laughs) that this is where joy lives is in your team beating not just Carolina, but beating a top 10 Carolina team. And I was working, but got to enjoy it. And in the moment, I was like, man, my buddy McGraw has got to be as happy as I think you've probably ever been. Let's just say that my wedding day didn't have UVA upsetting Carolina on the road. So, I mean, what really is better? Your wife could never provide that for you. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, man, so where to start on that game? First of all, just an incredible gutsy performance, I think you'd have to say, from Virginia. An amazing just constellation of play on both sides of the ball. I mean, Carolina did move the ball a lot throughout the game. Drake May, I think it would be said, did not play his best game, completing only 50% of his passes, overthrew some receivers that you know were open, also got several drops at key moments from his receivers. But UVA made the plays when they had to, particularly in the last two drives when things got dicey. We had an opportunity to put Carolina away and fumbled out of the end zone. Got two stops to keep Carolina off the board. And the offense just really moved the ball well. I mean, 228 rushing yards is the thing that jumps out at me, considering that UVA has really struggled to move the ball on the ground this year. That was very impressive. I thought Tony Musket looked great, made a lot of really good decisions, uh, made good decisions also in like zone read stuff where he kept the ball and made plays with his feet as well. So that was great. And I'm happy for Mike Collins, you know, just like on an emotional level, three touchdowns. I was going to be absolutely gutted if his fumble at the end led to us losing the game. Like that just would have been too much for me to take. But uh, awesome performance from them. And uh, real proud of this team, even though, you know, this this win doesn't fix everything. It's still a two and five season. It's still there's still problems to be addressed. Still got a big game against Miami where we're almost 19-point underdogs this weekend, but feels good to beat Carolina, that's for sure. I was talking to somebody recently, and I think as podcast hosts, it's fun when we get to get on here and be like, we were right about this, that, and the other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, while we didn't sit here, I didn't. I can't speak for you. You were confident. at least jokingly so I don't know how serious you were but you at least said that there could be an upset here but 
the important thing I think is when we look at it, we talked about, there are a couple of things that I think we were vindicated in, which is we talked about pressure on college quarterbacks, being able to disrupt game plans, being able to put a quarterback who even like Drake may is top of the line. There's no doubt in my mind, this kid is going to be a high quality NFL quarterback, but still, if you can put pressure on a college quarterback, I mean, it's true in the NFL too, just a different in a different way. I think you can change the game and, and Virginia did that. And I think that that's, that was an important part of this. But then the other thing we talked about after the William and Mary went is being able to identify what worked in that game. How do you build on that out of the bye week? How do you find ways to stay competitive in games in which you're not going to be favored and maybe steal some wins? I mean, like that's literally, and and I'm aware of this because we pulled the clip, like it was on social media. I know we talked about this specifically. How can you find ways to steal games? And so you look at this, I mean, 54 rushing attempts for 228 yards, time of possession, Virginia, 37 minutes with the ball compared to Carolina's just under 23 minutes. That's big right? That's how you win a game like this is you run the ball effectively, which allows you to control the clock, allows you to control possession and puts your quarterback in in a position where I think this is where Tony Musket is best. I kind of hate the term game manager, but that's sort of what he is uh, with the ability to make decisions in the short passing game, quick decisions, and then uh, able to make reads. I thought I was impressed with the plays he made with his legs. There were several plays where as they unfolded, I was like, this seems like it'd be better with Anthony Calandria, but Tony Musket did enough, right? It wasn't like explosive always, but it just was consistently enough. And then you go two for three on some key fourth downs. Like that's pretty big. I was impressed with the composure of this team. And, you know, you mentioned Mike Collins, always great to see him have success. Paris Jones, I'm really impressed with in these last couple of games. That kid can play. And then the thing that we've seen all year, Malik Washington is a baller. And this was just an impressive, impressive win for UVA. And I think something that they can build on. Yeah, 100%. You know, this this comes across as like loser talk when you get into like what ifs in a season. But like the record is what it is. You can't change it. But at the same time, you know, this is a team that lost a very, very close game against JMU. They they made huge, ridiculous gaffes at the end of the NC State game that could have been an overtime contest, right, and, like, handed NC State yeah. a game. So this is a team that, like, could conceivably have a winning record with just, like, a couple of small changes. And, again, you can play that game all the time, and I don't like doing it. But, I mean, I think it should be said that this team feels like a better two and five team than many other two and five teams. So what that means for the rest of the year, I don't know. Like they still have a really tough slate of games. Miami's going to be very tough this weekend, Georgia tech, and you never know what you're going to get from them. Duke is tough. Virginia tech increasingly playing well. So, you know, it may not translate to multiple weeks, but for one week they beat Carolina and also, this is just what Carolina does, man. Like, this is Mac Brown. It's just randomly going to turn into a pumpkin. I, I, I saw this stat. Since 2020, there have been 
11 times where Carolina is a 10 or more point favorite against an ACC opponent. And they've lost those games outright five times in the last three years. So one like, of my stats, I was ready to shit on Carolina. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is just like what he does. More, like, but... Go. All right, go ahead. Let's churn them out. Yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's perfect. And I, I, that's a, that, that is an amazing way to start it, though. Like Carolina in the ACC, th- they've had the second most occasions where they're double digit favorites, obviously second to Clemson six and five in that time. And I mean, you look at those losses. Obviously, you have this one, UVA, 24-point favorites. They lost to Georgia Tech as 21.5-point favorites. It's, it's not, and I don't want to go through all of them, but it doesn't look good. And then when you consider since 1998, Carolina has played six games as a top-10 team. All of them have actually occurred after 2015. They've lost five of the six, and each of the last three have been to unranked opponents. <laughs> like, when those of us who are, you know, I... I I'm absolutely an anybody but Carolina fan. And so I, I get I can be accused of some bias. And I think a lot of our listener base has a bias against Carolina. But these are facts. Like, so when we look at it and the preseason poll comes out or at some point in the season when you see Carolina ranked highly and you're like, OK, but just wait, they're overrated because they're going to lose like this. The facts back it up. They are going to lose. So it's funny because we used to Clemsoning used to be a thing right you'd always talk uh, clemson's gonna get highly ranked and lose somebody they shouldn't at what point though are people at large because i understand those of us who hate carolina are gonna be like yeah this is what mac brown does but you don't hear it as a big narrative in like sports media espn isn't really doing that a ton at what point are we going to be serious about this and understand like this is a real thing that happens that carolina you know, sometimes it's preseason and they shit the bed early. Sometimes it's they play well through the, through the first half of the year, whatever it looks like. Eventually, though, they're going to let you down. And I think it's clear, like, in this situation, and I don't mean this, again, like, this is no hate towards UVA, but this is a team that had never won a road game against a top 10 team. They had one of the longer streaks in the country of not, you know, not winning any game against a top 10 team, regardless of where it is. Not the longest, because Wake Forest hasn't done that since 1946. Mm. <laughs> That's a crazy stat. <laughs> when Wake, because Wake Forest hasn't done it since 1946. The second longest streak now is Colorado. Their last one was in 2007. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> There's a 60-year gap in those streaks. That's wild. But UVA, wow. this is a team that was one of three power five teams who had no top 10 road wins and you lost to that and again that's no hate towards uva but carolina if you're trying to be one of the elite programs in the country you can't drop those games so now Rutgers and louisville are the two teams left who have never done this who have never mm. been a top 10 team on the road so pressure's on you cardinals and scarlet knights but i don't care about them <laughs> yeah oh man it's uh it was definitely a shocking result i mean I'd like to be able to say that I saw it coming. I said, you never know on this podcast. But I also wrote an article for Sabermetrics and predicted a 45-13 Carolina win. So <laughs> I'm not going to give myself a lot of credit here and say, like, I believed it. I absolutely did not believe it. Man, kudos to the team. I'm very excited for them. I'm excited for the coaches, excited for the fans that have been uh, struggling with this. And see if they can keep it going. I would love to see 
another performance this week against Miami. That's uh, another quality opponent on the road. I mean, if they, if, look, I'm not trying to jinx anything. I'm not trying to put anything out there, but like, if they're able to beat Miami as well, got to put them in the playoff, I think. <laughs> I just think some people are going to have to really. I know that you don't like this talk, and we don't have to get too far into this. But if they're able to beat Miami, some people are going to have to really reevaluate their Tony Elliott takes. We'll see. We'll see how it gets at the end of the year. I, I think. Listen, the, I, I just the thing think that look, I think is the thing that I think is unquestioned about this is regardless of whatever you want to say about his ability to recruit or game planning or anything like that, those players that are on his team currently will run through a brick wall for him. Like they want to win for this team. The celebration that you saw afterwards, they, those players are bought in. It's not a question about like heart or commitment or not following the coaching staff. I think it's a, an overall talent perspective but he got those kids ready to play this game and despite all of the close calls this year a lot of teams would have just given up and you know just like laid a clunker and they didn't do that and i think in college football that's worth a whole hell of a lot when you're evaluating coaches and trying to determine like is this the guy to lead our program i think there are x's and o's things that can be figured out that can be developed I think there's talent things in terms of recruiting that can be aided by the right assistant coaches around you, so on and so forth. But I think the ability to motivate a group of young men is an X factor that not everybody has. And I think it is clear to me that Tony Elliott has an ability to get this group in the face of a lot of stuff. It has not even been a year since last season ended in tragedy. And that group, including a guy who was as directly affected by that as you could be in Mike Hollins, steps up and he is a vital part of this win. To me, that speaks volumes about the coach. And I know I'm not a UVA fan, and it's harder when you're a fan of the team. You tend to be more critical, and I understand that. But I think this guy can lead this team to where it wants to be. And and honestly, the thing I'm really impressed about him with is that his ability to be reflective and it seem it feels to me like he has changed some things about the way they play, the way that he cha- the way he coaches in response to challenges and losses. You know, being able to to adapt, and I think that that speaks volumes. I I, I don't know. I. I'm a big believer. I've been that way from this whole time, and I understand my investment is different. I don't think I'm not saying he's Nick Saban, but like I don't know this. To me, this is the guy that you want leading a program like this. Plenty of time for reflection on that at the end <laughs> of the season. Yeah. Before we get into some other things that happened this past week, I think we should address the Michigan scandal. That has been percolating and is ongoing. I feel almost inadequate in speaking on this because I feel like every time I check Twitter, there's like an update that's crazier than the time before. So we're recording this on Wednesday evening. So if something even more insane has happened by tomorrow when this comes out, apologies. But we've got a sign stealer that's going on. Connor Stallions is being alleged as somebody who stole signs for Michigan. 
using illegal technology and critically the the main thing that would be an NCAA violation is that he reportedly has gone to different places uh, to watch games and record uh, what the other team's coaches are giving signs from the sideline, which you're not allowed to do by NCAA rules. But Stupid th- rule, first it, of all. Well, okay, maybe, but it is a rule sure. that you're not supposed to do that. But this guy, stupid, I, stupid, though. I think this thing is just so weird. That's my take on all of this before I'm even like angry at Michigan or Jim Harbaugh or any of this. This guy is weird. Like he basically volunteered. It's been alleged that he's volunteered for the program and just like helped out with a bunch of stuff over the course of years, so much so that they made him like an analyst for the team. So like he just like kept, I guess, stealing signs and providing value in the background. And they finally were like, okay, well, this guy, we really like the cut of his jib. So we're going to bring him in. (laughs) And like he's alleged to have been at more than 30 games even though he makes a salary of like $50,000. So he's reportedly traveling to all these places, attending all these high-profile games, but he doesn't really have a salary that is commensurate with what you would expect him to do. He's also now today, this is the part that I haven't been able to fully process yet, reportedly had some kind of manifesto that was going to be his plans for the program going forward. That's like almost 500, 600 pages, which is not great. Not something that you want to... The word manifesto in Michigan people is has a bad <laughs> history. So let's, <laughs> let's keep that away. But anyway, I don't know what your thoughts on this are. Mine are just, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, that's where I kind of start with it, right? I mean, and so let me clarify, I, I, first of all, in saying that the rule is stupid. I mean, I understand why this stuff exists but i think there's inconsistencies within ncaa rules about scouting signs and things like that that are baffling to me you can scout other teams you can even like if you're able to watch uh, there i read this today if he was just watching on television and taking notes on their signs it would be fine but if you do it at a game that's a violation that that to me i can't wrap my head around that discrepancy in the rules uh but but whatever that's not what we're unpacking i think if we were trying to evaluate ncaa rules this podcast would be way more frustrating (laughs) but yeah i mean so today right that's the big development on uh, on wednesday is that this guy kind of manifesto he has a vision his plan his goal is to lead michigan football himself he wants to be the head coach basically is what it sounds like he was aiming for long term. And, and this manifesto was all about his vision for what the program could be. And so he's trying to make himself valuable to work his way up to that. And on one hand, I think you gotta you kind of got to respect the grind. I mean, he, he's willing to do what he's got to do. And okay, fine. There's all these questions about the relationship between him and Harbaugh, between him and the other coaches. You know, I've seen these different pictures and video clips of him next to offensive and defensive coordinators during points in games where it seems like he's providing information. You know, this is one of those one of those rare times where I'll say, like, let the NCAA investigation play out and we'll see. Right. 
it's just it feels like there's a lot of stuff here that could be hard to prove. I will say, interestingly enough, the worst season in in recent history that Harbaugh's had at Michigan was the COVID year when fans weren't in stands and this mm-hmm. guy couldn't have gone to games. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. You know, when you see some of the stuff that came out yesterday about him having bought tickets to games from potential college football playoff contenders. He was going to Alabama games, Clemson games, Georgia games, Tennessee. It wasn't just those Big Ten games that got flagged earlier in the week. I saw something super interesting. that There was a message board poster. So for those Sabre people, sometimes you you message board folks are onto something. There was somebody in a Tennessee message board who back in December 2022 was talking about his – he had a brother who had a friend who was a scout for Michigan, and he like posted – that this guy that he tangentially knew was paid to go to the Tennessee Vanderbilt game to try to steal signs and that he was going to go and, but wasn't allowed to talk to Harbaugh directly. And then the story broke and that same guy showed up on this. It's called VolQuest is their message board showed back up and said, I don't know if this is related, but a couple months ago <laughs> I posted a thing about a friend of mine who was working for Michigan and going to other schools' games and stealing plays. He said the school paid for his flights, lodging, food, and seats right around the bench for him to get video and notes, which is nuts. This is like my friend told my friend who told me, like, whatever. But sometimes that stuff holds some legitimacy, and it can be hard to to dissect all the stuff that like reporters are are putting out there because you know they're they're trying to gather information whatever sometimes it's it's helpful to get the stuff straight from these sources of just people who know people and are like oh yeah i heard about this guy who's doing this thing this whole thing is just it's it's wild i mean i what you were just talking about gets to my secondary read of all this which is a common thread that we've said before in the show with other scandals involving coaches like i believe that jim harbaugh tried to put up barriers to not connect himself with this guy directly i do not for a second believe that jim harbaugh did not know that this was going on absolutely there's just no chance of that happening and i jim harbaugh has denied it this is one of the most control freak coaches out there like he is He's basically, despite success in the NFL, was chased out of the NFL by the owner because of how controlling he was of every decision and just rubs people the wrong way because of it. I refuse to believe that this is a guy who (laughs) knew this was going on for multiple years, has this coach on the sideline talking to assistants and just like, hey, that's weird. What's this guy? Why is he, (laughs) why is he pointing at different things? You know, why, why, when we're making audibles, is this guy the guy that's making, uh, you know, decisions? No, that's just, no, that did not happen the way that Harbaugh says it will 100% come out somehow that there was knowledge. So like, I don't know how big of a scandal it is in the, in the scope of things. Like to some extent, I kind of rolled my eyes at it because like, I do, I do feel how Dion feels, which is like. Yes, you know, you're stealing signals, but even if you know what's coming, you got to be able to stop it. Yeah. And Michigan's been great at that. But at the same time, Michigan does put itself on a pedestal. They are frequently say that we aren't going to be like those SEC schools that do illegal things and make illegal payments and all that other stuff. And 
here's an example of them, you know, bending the rules just like any other team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's seeing that image that was going around Twitter yesterday, maybe I think it was of the coaches holding the laminated sheet that seemed to have images of like signal hand signals. You know, it seems a little sketchy, but you never know, right? I don't know all the context on that, but I do think in the discussion around this, somebody that I never uh, and people who have listened to this podcast episode after episode would not foresee me agreeing with this guy on something. But Matt Rule, Matt Rule himself, he was talking about this the other day and his media availability and said, look, this is a perfect example of why college football needs telecommunication devices between quarterbacks or, or captains and the coaching staff. And, and quite honestly, the coaches who have voted against it in the past, and I think he said this too, these are the people who are probably trying to steal signs, right? Like that's mm-hmm. why they don't want this to happen. And I understand like there are some questions about helmet liability for some of the stuff, but you could do wristband thing. I, there, there's all sorts of solutions. And I did just see the NCAA is going to test this in the bowl season this year, which apparently was a decision made before all of this came out, which seems convenient. The timing is interesting, but this is something that needs to be explored because it, it is a unique problem to college football, right? You don't hear about this in the NFL because they can communicate with their players, but I think that's one part of this. The other thing in this that I think has to be, you know, on the mind of anybody talking about this is the reason this is such a big story is because it seems almost unquestionable at this point that Michigan is, if not the unquestionable best team in the country, they've been the most dominant team in the country thus far. This is a team that has not allowed more than 10 points in a game this year. They've outscored their opponents 325 to 47. Their schedule is not filled with like impressive opponents. There's no doubt about that. But I think in in a season where to this point, your other big teams have had near upsets. So Georgia almost lost to Auburn. Florida State struggled with Boston College. Washington just had that disaster of a game against Arizona State. Michigan hasn't had those. Michigan has been dominant in every game it's played and has a top 15 offense, a top five defense, an experienced quarterback. Like this is one of those teams that I think, you know, if this were again, Virginia or NC state, either of our teams doing this, it would be a story, but not a huge story. This is a huge story because Michigan looks poised to win a national championship. Just quite honestly, they look like a team that absolutely could and maybe should win a national championship this year. And is this going to be an asterisk? That's why I think this is such a big deal. Oh, 100%. And yeah, I think that it is going to be a question mark that they now have to deal with at every single game going forward will be a distraction. And, you know, maybe that bonds the team together. Maybe that results in some confusion that they ultimately lose maybe now they aren't stealing signs they're going to be worse we'll see about that it would be hilarious if they come out here in a couple weeks and lose to purdue that's their next game they have a bye this weekend <laughs> and they play purdue so how hilarious would that be if you know with an inability to steal signs they go out and lose to purdue at home like then you're then you can say okay yep they were up to something <laughs> well 
thanks to this guy for giving everybody a last second Halloween costume in the Midwest. <laughs> that's that's perfect. So I was this past weekend I was hanging out in Chicago with my friend and listener of the show Justin. Uh, shout out. And uh, he was giving me some feedback on the show. And one of his pieces of feedback was that we dislike too many things. Oh. He's like, how do you have this many opinions about this coach and this guy and you don't like this guy? And I was like, okay, thank you for the feedback. Feedback is a gift. So what I thought we could do, there were a lot of just fun, random, awesome things from this past weekend. And I just want to like run through them back and forth, quick style, doesn't have to be long, just some of the amazing things that happened this past weekend. I've got a few things. I don't know if you have any, but we can we can chat about that. The first thing I want to talk about is this UTSA coach trying to do some motivation for his team this past week. Now, I had never heard of this phrase. Mac Brown used it ahead of the Virginia game about the poison cheese, which goes back to uh, a quote that he had gotten from Bill Parcells when he was at Texas, which is, you don't want to be the rat that's eating the poison cheese, meaning uh, you're all fat and happy, and then you eat something bad, and it spoils everything for you, I guess. It's a, it's a weird thing. I'd never heard this before. But not only did Mac Brown use it this week, UTSA's coach also used it this week. His name is Jeff Trailer, and he wanted to show his team not to take the, the cheese, and he put rat traps in all their lockers to get ready for the game as a reminder not to, not to fall for that. And gosh darn it, if one of those rat traps didn't just smash his finger. <laughs> it's, he got it caught and he said, quote, it looks like it was smashed by a hammer. But uh, Roadrunners have won three straight. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. I just love, I love little coaching things like that where they get all queued up into their like symbolism. It's so funny. Oh, it's hard to beat that. Right. I mean, when these these coaches like have to find a thing to try to like, I don't know, man, just talk about football. It doesn't have to be like you don't have to find these metaphors. I just feel like that gets old pretty quick for me. You guys like winning still? All right, let's do it again this weekend. Yeah, let's, cool. let's just keep winning football games. I love it. I love it. Uh, something I loved from this past week. Nick Saban's ability to still paint his team as some like <laughs> forgotten underdog, right? So like you have this whole I mean, now don't get me wrong, right? They were down against Tennessee, had an amazing second half, scoring what 24 unanswered I think it was. Great. Kudos. But also some of the quotes coming out, some of the like the way that that's been talked about is they're like, man, nobody believed in this Alabama. Bro, you're Alabama. Like, <laughs> this is the team that has been in the top 10 more than any other team in the last decade or so. There was nobody out there that was like, yeah, there's no way Nick Saban can turn this around. Like, <laughs> I, I understand you were down. Like, that's fine. But I, I mean, like, on that note of college football coaches and their weirdness, I love every football coach's ability to pretend that their team is the most hated, most doubted team in the country. We saw it with Kirby Smart last year when he was like, nobody gave us a... Come on, bro. 
<laughs> you have the best on. defense ever assembled, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, like it's wild. And and we're seeing Nick Saban do it again. And I absolutely love it. And, I, you know, I think there are people out there who see this as a negative. I enjoy it because it is something that is like, you've been here. You've been doing this for so long. And you're still able to make this work as a motivational tactic where any of us with a brain can look at it and say that what we're saying right now, like, oh, my God, come on, you're Alabama, you're Nick Saban, you're going to be fine. Nobody doubts you. But somehow it seems to work to motivate players and kudos. I I find it incredibly impressive that he's able to still do that. I want to incorporate this into my life and just be like, <laughs> well, no one said I could make this bowl of cereal. <laughs> everyone doubted me even though it. It just no one remembers that i can do it boom nailed absolutely. it absolutely saban is the absolute master of that he's <laughs> he's so great um another coach that did said something uh after their game that i wanted to point out but in a little bit of a different vein has a different vibe than what you're talking about kyle whittingham after utah's upset victory against usc had this quote about Bryson Barnes, who had been working with his family's farm in the lead up to the season and definitely was not supposed to be their starting quarterback this year with Cam Rising, but his injuries have thrust him into the position. Quote, they've got a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, so they're going to make some things, and that's just the way it is. But we've got ourselves a pig farmer at quarterback, so we're proud of that guy, too. (laughs) (laughs) love that oh man you know this is like the end result of years of everyone being like lunch pail mentality yeah we're blue collar no 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 no. pig farmer use use that phrase you can't beat that you can't beat the specificity of that it's amazing i mean (laughs) i just love i feel like all of these things it's like something like that we just continue to go down that path where does it end you know, where like somebody, some coach out there is you make pig farmer. Okay, cool. But watch what I do. And next week, next year, there's going to be like, I don't know, man. I don't even know how you compare it, but there's going to be something along the line. Yeah, well, my quarterback is currently working as a custodian in a middle school and is also quarterbacking our team at the same time. He's also PTA president at the school. Like, you just find these stories to try to like, make these people likable to make them you know it's not just a five star like we're supposed to hate caleb williams just because he's like a good quarterback (laughs) but bryson barnes is more likable because he's you know not a good quarterback (laughs) that's what this comes down to i don't care about pig farmer is he good at football the answer really is no but still that team manages to win he had some big plays in that game i don't know he was gutsy performance yeah, I guess. I mean, that, what a weird game. But yeah, okay. I'll take it. My next thing is nepotism. We're just going to go where, you know, this is obviously Iowa. You like, love nepotism. I love you nepotism. Love it. And I love it. I love when it's so glaringly obvious. And the end of this Iowa-Minnesota game. Oh, my God. I, obviously comes down to a big call that 
I'm probably not as convinced was a bad call as you are. I don't think it was like definitely right. Horrible call. But <laughs> you continue. know, but this I, I will say though, before before I continue, there's these two calls that you texted me about Saturday. This one, which I can see your point, but I also can sort of see how it gets called an invalid fair. I, I understand it. The other one you texted me about that you were mad about, I'm just like, I'm sorry, it was completely right. The Pittsburgh slide he was absolutely short of the first down when he started the slide but i understand it went against your financial interests but yeah that's what that's what matters but continue (laughs) you said that to me and i just didn't respond because i was like i mean they're right uh but (laughs) kirk ferentz i mean after the game he's talking about the referees he's he (laughs) i love his comments about the referees and and saying he knew he'd be fined and i hope they'll donate it to the children's hospital (laughs) I just there's something about that that I love. But here's the thing, man. Referees don't matter if your offense is semi-competent. Iowa in that game in the second half. You know how many yards of offense they had? Dos. Oh no, they had twelve. Come on, man. I thought yeah. they only had two. Good. No, their offense produced twelve yards. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The fact that either of us like in two to 12, whatever in that range, if either of those are legitimate answers, you have a problem. We're talking about a power five team <laughs> that is producing so little on offense. And so, okay, the punt return, we have that whole situation. Amazing return, first of all. Take out the penalty or, or the, yeah, take out that moving it back. Incredible. This kid's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Uh, this coming year, Cooper DeGina's, but you take that out. You, there's still so much time. All they had to do was go 30 yards and get in field goal range. But three plays later, they throw an interception. <laughs> and I just yeah. love that this is a team that will still probably be in the Big Ten championship game. <laughs> <laughs> and they will still find a way to keep Brian Ferentz around as offensive coordinator. I, I promise you. I promise you they're going to find a way. The joy of UVA beating Carolina was only seconded by that Iowa punt return for a touchdown. Like, I, we were dancing around the apartment. I, again, I had a financial interest, but also just, <laughs> it was an amazing play. And to have that taken yep. away from me, that was not one of my favorite things. But you're right. Like, Again, just performance art. It's performance art from Iowa at this point. There's no... I think at this point, they're trying to see how they can win games without offense. Like, can can we just punt the ball or decline to get the ball offensively and still win the game? It's, it's awesome. I will say The Athletic had a... I think it was Ari Wasserman who wrote this. They had a really great... And I agree with this. As much as I'm loving it, because I'm not an Iowa fan. Or a fan of a Big Ten school at all. They had a really great article talking about this case of nepotism. Like, it is insulting to fans. And mm-hmm. I understand that. Like, if you're an Iowa fan, I'd be pissed off. Your team could be really good if Kirk Ferentz would just say, hey, maybe my son isn't the best at this. And I could just go get somebody who sort of understands football offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, this is a team that has put a number of players in the NFL over the last few years. Can you imagine if they knew how to use them? This team might have been like a college football playoff contender if they had just had a semi-competent offensive coordinator. But instead, 
Kirk Ferentz insists on keeping his son around. And I personally, with no invested interest in Iowa football, love it. That's a thing I enjoy is that this is happening. <laughs> like That's hilarious to me. Yeah, they're they're appointment viewing for me every week now. I just yeah. I, I have Gotta to be. watch their games. It's great. I'm going to stay in the Big Ten for my next one. And I want to be clear before I say this, that what I'm laughing at is Shaden Freud. I'm laughing at a, at a team that is going through some bad stuff, and I want them to fail. And I am not saying that I like Hitler. Okay? Jesus. All right? Are, are we clear that I'm saying yeah. Hitler was yeah. bad? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Official podcast position. That's right. That's our position on this podcast. But Michigan State, they got in trouble because before the game against Michigan, a game in which they got blowed out by their rival, they had their screen up and fans are coming into the stadium early and they were like, hey, we got to put something up on the screen. And so they put up some trivia from YouTube that they had not gotten permission to do. And as one of the questions on the screen came up, it was about Hitler's birthday. And so just right before the Michigan State game is going on, here's a photo of Hitler just kind of smiling up on the Jumbotron as people are guessing along to where he was born. You know, considering everything that's happened at Michigan State, I don't think anybody could have imagined a worse PR nightmare than what happened with Mel Tucker. And I don't know that this is worse necessarily, <laughs> but I didn't think that they would think like, all right, I'm kind of moving on from that scandal. Now I got to deal with Hitler. My goodness. Not great. Not great. Can't wait till Urban Meyer is the head coach. He'll fix all of it. <laughs> no scandals then at all. I love it. My next one, just Air Force. Air Force <laughs> is 7-0. and This team hasn't beaten anybody really of note you i mean they beat wyoming and you could argue that that's their best win probably but you look at the rest of the schedule colorado state army hawaii unlv you got a big showdown at the end of the year with boise state although boise state has not is not as good as they have been in the past this is an air force team that might go undefeated and I think that's something that we have to reckon with as an, a college football audience. What do you do with that? What do you do with an undefeated Air Force team? Certainly, they haven't beaten anybody. They're not going to make their way to the college football playoff or anything like that. But I mean, when's the last time a service academy went undefeated? I wish I had that stat in front of me. I did not prep that. <laughs> it does not happen. And I love that this Air Force team is you know, through the same old service academy stuff that we see every year. They're first in rushing in the entire country. They run for over 300 yards a game. But also defense, they only allow 13 points a game. This is a team that I love. I think we should have a play-in game to the college football playoff if this Air Force team is undefeated, and only if it's Air Force. I don't want to do this for JMU. I mean, they're mm. postseason ineligible anyway. I don't want to do this for any other bull team that goes undefeated. But Air Force, because they're a service academy, I think they should get a spot where they play a play-in against whoever the number four team is in the college football playoff. And if they're able to beat them, they get into the playoff, and then we ride. 
That's my mm. proposal for college football. If a service academy goes undefeated, they get a play-in game to try to get into the playoff. That's going to be your presidential platform. And right I'll there, your first. <laughs> <laughs> I had two things about this game that were on my list. One was that Air Force was so dominant defensively, Navy couldn't move the ball. At one point in the third quarter, I was checking my apps uh, for for betting purposes, and the over under for total points for Navy was listed as 0.5, which I have never seen before. <laughs> not not like three, not like two and a half, 0.5, which was amazing. I also want to shout out Troy Calhoun, the head coach at Air Force, for just straight up lying about the injury reports. He had said that his quarterback, Zach Larrier, was going to be out for a while. And then now, nah, just started him. He's like, he's just, good now. Yeah, I love it. Look, Don't this Navy, I mean, this game, Navy would have loved to have had Iowa's offense. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> they could not move it at all. But they had more first downs than Air Force had. When you look at the final, so like, good. the whole thing is just wild. The way that Air Force is winning some of these games, I, I you got to love it. And I mean, if there's a team we could all pull for, it's Air Force. Think about like as a country, we give the Army Navy game and all that stuff. And then Air Force is like, oh yeah, we're 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 over here, guys. Uh we also exist. <laughs> and I love it. And I think their their uniforms are badass and I love it. And go Air Force. I am gonna pull for them the rest of the year. This is my team. I hope they get a chance to you know, play in some at least major bowl, like a bigger bowl than we usually expect to see these service academies play in. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. I got a couple more. One is just a quick one to say, how cool were Western Kentucky's uniforms and helmets? Hell yeah! With the seven different big reds doing various big red shenanigans. I think there should be more of that. I think there should be more helmets that have like divergent pictures or unique things i know navy has done that and army i believe has done that as well with like different squadrons and stuff where people get represented with different things i think more more of this and more of big red just in, in anything in my life that guy is Amen. hilarious he's the best the last thing i'll say I will encourage anybody to look this up from the UVA UNC game. CW announcer James Bates did one of the all time great reads for uh, one of their shows that is on the CW. It's called F Boy Island. And he did just like a minute long read where he was just so into it and like speaking positively about it. I don't know. He was like, Hey man, this is great. Nice guys are sticking around. Uh, they've kicked a couple <laughs> f boys off. Make sure you're checking that out on the CW. He he had only like part of the promo. He ad libbed like a significant portion of this. Like he was invested in f boy Island, and he just knew it. Like good for him. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed. We're so used to we're so used to like Joe Buck being like stick around for sixty minutes after this, or you know like. <laughs> Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I found it very refreshing and hilarious. No, absolutely. I think anytime a college football announcer can promote 
something called F Boy Island. <laughs> period. With that type of enthusiasm, though, I'm all about it. I love it. Yeah. So my my last couple kind of go together. I just just results that I liked. I guess really is what it comes down to. There's not specific stuff. It's just when these scores came across and, and caught my attention, I was real happy about them. One of them, probably not super relevant to much of our audience, but meant a lot to me. Charlotte beating East Carolina. I ECU has been a thorn in the side of NC State football for a while. You know, they're a pesky kind of, I think of them, and this is basketball terms, I know, but mid-major type program, right? They're they're not they're a smaller school, not a huge power five program, but they're dangerous, right? They produce NFL talent, lots of lots of really good players. To see them lose to Charlotte team, that is, you know, this program hasn't existed for that long and will never be confused for a college football powerhouse. I I don't know. I love it. This is not a good ECU team this year, but that result caught my eye as like, I know a lot of people who went to ECU who are going to be really bummed about that. And it's probably how you would feel, I guess, probably about like a school like ODU or JMU losing games they shouldn't lose. Where mm-hmm. You're just kind of like, you know, it's not your biggest rival, but you're just like, <laughs> that's kind of funny that, that happened. That's how I felt about that. The other Plus, thing. Biff Pogey, just shout out oh, to the, the sleeveless God. assassin. Love what that a, guy. What a God. I, if we fire Dave Doran, I want Biff Pogey. And I, just on vibes, I know nothing yeah. really about his like schemes or anything like that, but vibes, love it. The other result I love, Clemson losing. Mm. And what I love about this is that I saw multiple, not just one, multiple articles this past week about whether or not Dabo Sweeney should be on the hot seat. Wow. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> this guy has taken your program to heights that you previously could only dream of. If that, I don't even know that you could dream of it because as Clemson fans, all you knew was misery. But now because you've had a disappointing season where you're still over 500 right now but you do have a losing conference record now you're like is it time to move on is has Mm -hmm. Dabo run his course here has the sprinting down the hill has that finally worn off like the effect that has on our team I come on man Dabo Sweeney probably the best coach you've ever had that guy has earned himself I don't like him but he's earned himself a lifetime contract at Clemson. The fact that they're even talking, that anybody is having a discussion around him being on the hot seat is hilarious to me. It's incredibly stupid, but I am bringing so much joy from that. He definitely is feeling it a little bit, though. I mean, sure. he's had a couple of things after after the game. Some of the comments that he made were not his most polished. I mean, he <laughs> has mentioned... I'm not even going to get into the one that he said about the <laughs> psychologist for his players, which was Bad. very inappropriate. But he also has been talking about how there might have been too many people on the bandwagon and, yeah. you know, it's okay for some people to get off the bandwagon with some losses. You know, like losses are an okay thing if it means we call the bandwagon. It's like, whoa, that's, uh, that's kind of some harsh talk for some of your fans. Yeah, he's feeling it. They got a tough stretch coming up, man. This they're not in a good spot. Well, that may be a good segue to talking about the ACC slate for this week. Shall we do that? 
Absolutely. All right. Bunch of games that you can choose from to watch this weekend. Starting on Thursday night, 7.30 on ESPN, Syracuse travels to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, of course, contractually obligated to play in a Thursday night game every year just so that ESPN can be like, look at all these old Thursday night games and everybody jumped up and down to enter Sandman in that Check cool? out this intro. <laughs> yeah, cool. Here's the thing about this game, though. Virginia Tech has covered the spread in its in five of its last six home games against conference opponents. And the favorite has won in 23 of the last 24 games that Syracuse has played in. Virginia Tech is the favorite. They're playing better football right now. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I will take Virginia Tech. Yeah, this is an easy call for me. I think Tech wins by a touchdown here. I like the way they're playing, and watch out. I mean, they're three and four overall right now, but a win here puts them at three and one in the ACC. This is a Tech team that is peaking at the right point in the season, going to the second half of things. An offense is starting to move the ball a little better, more dynamic, a defense that's continuing to make plays. Yeah, I like the Hokies in this game, and and I'm telling you, like, it's an interesting team to watch over this home stretch of the season where they have you know a tough game following this against louisville but then some winnable games uh to close it out saturday at noon on abc florida state a 20 and a half point favorite traveling to wake forest here's that chance for wake forest to get that top 10 win here it is (laughs) probably not gonna happen though uh they may have to end up playing with their third string quarterback santino marucci who did lead the ultimate scoring drive to beat Pitt, but is the third-string quarterback, which is not something you want to do when you're going up against one of the teams that is the best in the country. Florida State kind of struggled for a while with Duke before they just finally like mashed him up in the fourth quarter. And it may take a little while. Florida State doesn't always look as polished as you want them to. And I feel like at some point it's going to catch up with them, but it won't be this week. They're going to win by a million. Yeah, this feels like an easy win. Not the time for Wake Forest to get that long-awaited top 10 win here. This is Seminoles easily. Saturday at noon on the ACC Network. Yuck. (laughs) Can we just skip this one? Uh, Boston College. UConn. I mean, Boston College favored by 14.5 against UConn. I realized in, in looking at this up that Boston College lost this game last year, 13 to 3. So time for some vengeance. Yeah. Take that, Jim Mora Jr. <laughs> this is the, I guess this is a football game, game of the week. No thanks, but sure, BC, and I won't care either way. Here's a guy who went from coaching UCLA and in the NFL to coaching <laughs> UConn. This is like the most eastbound and down vibes like they need to make a show out of jimora jr's life this is wild <laughs> it's crazy because i just think like i i guess in my mind some of my like formative years of being a football fan and it really wasn't that long in hindsight it was only like three years but he was the coach of the falcons and so like as a panthers fan you know 2004 2006 that's when i was like really getting into football i was like a, i was like 12 and so to me, he like is the Falcons coach and now he coaches UConn and look, I'm sitting here as just a random guy. If UConn called me today and was like, would you be our football coach? I'd be like, that seems sad. I think I'm good. 
I think they are like one of my top choices for when NCAA football 24 comes out. That let makes me, sense. Let me add That em. makes sense. Yeah. I want it. Them and like Akron. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Saturday at 2 p.m. The CW game. Anything can happen on the CW. Also home of F-Boy Island. Clemson is a 10 and a half point favorite traveling to NC State. This is the first time since 2010 that Clemson has more than two losses in conference play, and they want to fire Dabo for it. That's cool. <laughs> uh, second game this season where Kate Klubnick messed up a short yardage situation and kind of went rogue. He pulled the ball out instead of just handing it off in overtime, which led to a failed fourth down conversion. He did something similar and passed it against Florida State, and they lost that game in overtime. You know, I don't really know if NC State's going to win this game because I am not fully convinced that they're that good. Like, they have some good players. They have the ability to sack the quarterback. They have uh, Concepcion. He's good. But I don't know if they have the talent to beat Clemson. But coming off a bye, and with Clemson just like the bad vibes that are going on around their program right now, I love NC State and the points here. Like, give me all the points at home. I think it should be, plus it's on the CW. Anything can happen. That's right. Dave Doran with a rest advantage. So any context, any, any point in time where his team has had more time off than their opponent is 23 and 8 all time. Give me NC State here. Uh, State coming off a bye. Clemson with a double overtime loss that feels like a real kind of fulcrum in their season. Uh, I feel good about this i promise i'm really trying to take the homer out of this like it's it's not even about that the stats just feel good here this team tends to be good off of a buy in general especially when you factor in where clemson is in their season i like it with the points i don't know if i like them to win i'm not saying all that i did see is kind of an interesting thing you think about this game i feel like simultaneously because both fan bases are probably not in a super positive place with their team. Clemson fans are looking at this line and feel like it's too low uh, or too high. Sorry. They feel like it's too high and that Clemson shouldn't be favored by as much. And state fans are like, no, it's too low. Clemson should be favored by more. You know, I think both fan bases are just not super confident in this, which is fine. But I think, again, looking at what Dave Doran does with a rest advantage against opponents like this, uh, I like NC State to cover. We agree, and I'm probably going to steal that stat from my article this week. Uh, Saturday at 3.30, NBC Pitt is traveling to number 14, Notre Dame, where they are 20.5-point underdogs. As we mentioned earlier, Pitt got jobbed by Carolina officials (laughs) when their quarterback, Christian Veyer, slid after clearly picking up a first down yardage to win the game and a bet of mine. And... Wrong. It's awful and bad, and there should be congressional investigations of it. But they are coming back together. Pitt's been playing a little bit better. Sure. I don't think that they can really test Notre Dame on the road, but I don't know. 21 points? 20 and a half points? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't expect you to say that. I mean, look, this is a Pittsburgh team that has had a couple big wins this year. They upset Louisville. They also beat Wofford. So, 
you know, hard not to be confident in a team that blows out Wofford in week one. But they caught Louisville at a time where everybody was all about the Cardinals, feeling like this team was kind of a big Cinderella that had a chance to make a run. And then Pitt went in and won by 17 and then had a close game against Wake Forest, decided by a call that was absolutely correct. Uh, as a reminder, it is about where the quarterback starts the slide, which did happen before the first down marker. But anyway, this is a pit team that we've seen already. Again, that upset against Louisville, and I think they have another chance here to score a major upset against Notre Dame. That being said, they're not going to do it, but it is a good chance to do it. Uh, Pittsburgh last beat Notre Dame in 2013. Pittsburgh doesn't have a chance here. This is just, it's not happening. I'm sorry. I don't think Notre Dame is all that great. I've kind of soured on them in recent weeks, but I don't think Pittsburgh is like good at all. So um, I, I think that line is kind of big though. 20 and a half. Big. It's tempting. It's real tempting. But, I just feel like uh, it's going to be a low scoring game of defense and punts sure. and I yeah, don't know. a 21-3 Notre Dame win. I do think it's funny that the rule that cost them on that slide is probably in the rule books because of one Kenny Pickett, who was an expert at like pretending to slide with like a little little motion and then just continuing to run. That was yeah. his move. So Pitt got what it was what was coming, even though it made me upset. Saturday, yeah. three thirty on ESPN, the best game of the day, perhaps. Number twenty Duke. Four-point underdogs at Louisville. I don't know how to feel about this game because there are just like way too many question marks on who's going to play. Like Jawar Jordan for Louisville, he may not play. Jarvis Brownlee, their top cornerback, may not play. Riley Leonard got hurt again against Florida State. And like half the game, it seemed like they were just showing him on the side, trying to, mm-hmm. trying to work his way back into a situation where he could play. But I don't really know. I'm inclined to take Louisville, but I am not going to give a pick until I know more information. I think Ray Leonard's going to play in this game, and that makes me feel good about Duke. Uh, Mike Elko yesterday, I think it was, said he's day-to-day. To me, that's coach speak for the kid's going to play. Um, All of us are day-to-day. Aren't we? I mean, come on. I like this Duke team, especially defensively. I am not, I'm still not a big believer in Louisville. I, I like Duke, especially with the points, but I, I like Duke straight up. I think Duke wins this game. Two more games, Saturday, 3.30 on the ACC Network, Virginia, fresh off of their delicious upset of UNC, traveling to Miami. They are 19-point underdogs. Miami's been kind of banged up, like, Tyler Van Dyke did not play against Clemson, but is expected to be back for this game. Miami's defensive line is is particularly banged up, which is like one of the strengths of their team in getting to the quarterback. Uh, Nyalik Kelly is likely out for the season. Hakeem Mesidor has been out for weeks and is questionable to return. But even with that, they racked up five sacks, 10 tackles for a loss, kept Clemson to just 31 rushing yards. So they are very formidable, and I think that UVA will be very unlikely to replicate its 228 rushing yards that they put up against Carolina. But having said all that, I think this is kind of a low-scoring game that UVA hangs around in. Like, I will take the points for UVA. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I actually feel the same way. I think this game's going to be closer. 
closer than than the spread indicates for sure. I don't know that this is like a game that you're going to feel like UVA could win, but I think they're going to keep it close enough to irritate betters um, who might bet that Miami line. Um, I do like UVA to cover as well. And finally, Saturday at 8 o'clock on the ACC Network, the night game, North Carolina trying to get back on the bandwagon, traveling to Georgia Tech. They are 11.5-point favorites. I think Carolina wins this game by four touchdowns. This is a blowout. Having watched a significant portion of the North uh, of the Georgia Tech Boston College game, I it occurs to me that Georgia Tech is not good. <laughs> they have the nation's second worst rush defense. They are very very bad. Haynes King made terrible decisions. Three interceptions blew the game. Boston College ran away with it with three unanswered touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I think Carolina gets right here. It makes me sad, but Carolina is just going to come out and plaster the Yellow Jackets. Does it not occur to you that this line is a little smelly? I don't know. Like North Carolina just lost to just lost to UVA. Can't give them that like, many points. I don't know, man. This feels a little like ah, God. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I would love the idea of Carolina losing two in a row as double-digit favorites. But also, we just talked about all those stats about how Carolina loses as double-digit favorites. And I feel like here's another case. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've been trying to talk myself out of picking Georgia Tech in this mm-hmm. game because I kind of feel like it might happen. But I, it doesn't feel good enough. I, I like Carolina, but I don't know if I like – I definitely don't like Carolina by four touchdowns. I think that's crazy. Give me Georgia Tech plus the points. I'm doing it. We're taking it. Georgia Tech plus the points. I love it. Lock it in. It's going to be like a (laughs) touchdown game. This is it. This is the play that I feel good about this week. This is the smelly line. I'm running to it. You've taught me to run to the smell. I like this one. Okay. All right. Don't agree with you, but I like that attitude. That's the attitude we like. Those are the ACC games for the week. Top 25 slate. It's kind of all over the place. Kind of sucks. the main game that's the best is Oregon traveling to Utah. That's where college game day will be, and that should be a fun game. I don't really know what I think about that game yet. Like I, there's some parts of me that just feels like Utah's been winning games by like, yes, duct taping the boat together and yes. just like staying alive. But at the same time, they're like really good at that. That's what they do. I hate this. Utah they play really team, good though. defense. I hate I hate this Utah team for that reason. It feels like they're just barely squeaking by and like they just keep winning and they're ranked by default because they keep winning. This Oregon team is really, really good. I I think this could get ugly. I actually think that this yeah. is like the line here kind of stinks. It's it's what, six and a half? I just this Oregon team lost a very close game to Washington. They had a close win against Texas Tech. Other than that, every game has been a blowout or like at least a very in control win. I just think Oregon seems to be head and shoulders above Utah. I like Oregon to win this thing by like two touchdowns at least. I think Oregon covers easily. I know this is the best game of the week, but even this one doesn't feel that good to me. I think Utah's in over uh, in over their heads a little bit here. Could be, could be. A couple of other games I'm excited about. Yeah, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Always, always a Can't fun one. Even anymore. though, I'm um, sorry. I know, I know they changed the name to 
something else. Something more PC, but <laughs> I always find that game amusing. We've got BYU in Texas where Quinn Yours is out. Maybe a chance to see Arch Manning play for the first time. Ooh. Possible. That could be interesting. And then I'm also interested in the Oregon State-Arizona game. Oregon State is favored by three and number 11 in the country. But Arizona has been amazing the last few weeks. They've been really, really good since making quarterback change. And I don't know. That game intrigues me because Arizona's just been so gosh darn plucky. Sure. Love some pluckiness. I, I don't know, <laughs> man. I don't think that like does it, though. <laughs> I like I like this Oregon State team a lot. I. These are both like both that the Georgia Florida game and that game both feel like games where you're like, you know, gonna talk, especially making bets. You're gonna talk yourself into the underdog, kind of be like, ah, well, you know, there's gonna be some fight here, especially that Arizona team. Like, I could see it. At the end of the day, though, I think the better team's gonna win in both of those games. I think Oregon State definitely beats Arizona. I'm just not a big believer. Maybe I'm wrong, I guess, but I like, I like Oregon State. Go Beavs. Always be beef power. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what they say, but I'm a I'm yeah. a I'm a beaver. Wow, that's good. Mm, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, not the best slate of games. It, but you know, you never know. You think it's not the best slate of games, and then Kansas comes out and beats Oklahoma by two touchdowns, and then it's a big deal. I don't know. I do kind of like Kentucky against Tennessee. That's one that I am eyeing. Okay. Especially if they're going to steal signs. A la Michigan. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, if you have any picks or sign-stealing tips that you want to send to us, you can do that online by email at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com or you can reach us at social media places like Instagram and X at PWOPod is where we're at. And we've been talking a lot of football, but basketball season is just around the corner. We're going to have some previews coming up of the ACC. We've got media days going on right now and expected to have the preseason poll released tomorrow or when you're listening to this it will be today so lots of reaction coming for that and getting excited for the november 6th kickoff or tip off tip off basketball tip off basketball can't wait in the immortal words of bart scott i like i love this overlap of football and basketball season it's my favorite part of the year <laughs>